0: Imagine with me for a moment that you're at a big dinner party with a lot of people there. You have been excited about this dinner for weeks and about the buffet that there's going to be at this party. The host has told you it's going to have some of your favorite foods. For me, that means it's going to have several kinds of nice spicy curry. That's something I really love, and for dessert... There's going to be lemon tart or whatever your favorite uh, things to eat are. So you get to the venue. You wait in line for the buffet. You're so excited. You're about halfway through the line. So half of the people are already in front of you in line and about half of the people are behind you still waiting. And you get up to the serving table of the buffet to get your food. But wait a second. Most of the food is already gone. There's toast, but there's no curry left, and there's no lemon tart, and most of your favorite foods are gone too. In fact, most of the food is already gone. What happened? The host had assured you there was going to be more than enough for everyone who had been invited to the party. So you look around the room to see what's going on. You see, a lot of people have full plates, but wait a second, what's that? There's one table over there and at that table, that table in the corner, most people not only have full plates, they've actually taken most of the serving dishes to their table so that they don't have to share with other people. They can never eat that much food, but still, they've taken it all for themselves. And at one end of the table, there's one guy who has most of the serving dishes piled up right around him, one on top of another. Meanwhile, you have to make do with toast. And so does everyone else in the last half of the line behind you, except probably the people at the end of the line. They'll be lucky if there's even any of that left by the time they get to the buffet table. While you're thinking this, you see the host walk in. And boy, is he angry. He had provided more than enough food for everyone, but the guests haven't been sharing. That's not what the host wanted. If the guests had shared, everyone could have had more than enough and they could all have enjoyed the party together. In the world today, 1% of the world's population owns 38% of all global wealth. All the houses and cars and companies and the money in the bank. One percent of the population owns 38% of the global wealth. 10%, which would be the first 10% of the line in my story about the buffet, 10% of the population owns 76% of all global wealth. The last half of the line in my story, the bottom 50% of the world's population, altogether only own 2% of all the world's global wealth. And some of the people at the very back of the line are really hungry. Uh, They're really suffering. They don't have clean water to drink. They don't have adequate housing. They can't afford medical care that they need. Is that how God wants the world to be? Not according to the Bible. We're in the midst of a sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, and today we're going to look at Luke 6, verses 20 through 26. In this part of Luke, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it means to be God's people and how God wants the world to be. Luke 6, starting at verse 20, if you're following along. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This passage in Luke chapter 6 is in a sense a lament about the realities of the world, a place where some people are hungry, poor, and suffering, while other people have far more than they need. The passage, I think, probably reflects the understanding that some people have become rich at the expense of other people through exploitation and oppression. The people who own a company, for instance, can get fabulously wealthy if they keep the wages, the salary of their employees, very low. Often their wealth comes at the expense of their poorer employees. It's not that the people who get paid a low hourly salary work less hard than everyone else, they work just as hard, they just get paid less for their work. Many people in societies throughout history and around the world also have paid rent for their housing rather than owning their own home because they can't afford the down payment or can't afford to buy a home. For those people, month after month, and some of you are in that situation, month after month, a big chunk of one's salary goes from their bank account into the bank accounts of the people who own the buildings they live in. This is the way our societies are structured today, and throughout history, similar economic structures have existed in most societies. Contributing to a situation where some people are rich and have more than enough, while other people really struggle to get by, sometimes going hungry so that they can feed their children, and sometimes not even able to do that. According to the Bible, that's not how God wanted the world to be. Throughout the Bible, all parts of the Bible, we see repeated expressions of God's concern for the poor and the suffering, and God's frustration with rich and powerful people Whose actions contribute to making other people poor and keeping them poor. For instance, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, in the book of Amos, it says that the rich and poor are being condemned for trampling the heads, the rich and powerful, sorry, are being condemned for trampling the heads of the poor. And in the book of Isaiah, we see condemnation of people who make laws for their nation that help create that situation. Isaiah says, woe to those who make unjust laws to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless or the orphans. What Isaiah was recognizing is that sometimes the laws of our nations, our countries, are designed in a biased way that favors rich and powerful people and keeps other people poor and suffering because rich and powerful people have been more influential on the laws that get created. But Isaiah says God doesn't like that. That's not how God wants the world to be. God wants the world to be a place where everyone has enough. That's a message we see throughout the Bible of Luke, which reaffirms that understanding of God. Of all the Gospels, Luke seems to be particularly interested in questions about money, rich and poor, economic justice. For instance, at the beginning of Luke in chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching, He's urging people to live the way God wants, and some people say, well, can you give us some examples of how God wants us to live? And it's really interesting that all the examples John the Baptist gives relate to money. He says, for instance, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should also do that, share with someone who has no food. And John says to tax collectors, well, one thing you could do is don't collect any more money than you're required to do. So when John the Baptist gives examples of what it looks like to live the way God wants, All of the things he mentions in Luke chapter three relate to how people relate to money. And there are many other passages. If you read through the whole gospel of Luke, which is a fun thing to do, you'll discover many passages about money, including our passage for today in chapter six. In our passage, Jesus says that a time is going to come when things are going to be very different from what they are right now when the people who are suffering now won't be suffering anymore. And the people who are doing well right now, well, those people will find life is not going to be as luxurious in the future as it is for them right now. Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor right now, but woe to you who are rich. Blessed are you who are hungry right now, The time is coming when you will have plenty to eat. But woe to you who are well fed right now, because the time is coming when you're going to be hungry. Blessed are you who weep now, because one day you'll be laughing. But woe to you who are laughing now, because one day all you'll want to do is mourn and weep. Our passage doesn't say exactly when this great reversal of fortunes is going to come about. Are we talking about Judgment Day in the end times when Jesus comes back? At the very latest, then, God will restore justice on earth and those who are suffering will suffer no more. Or does our passage also express a hope that the situation could improve even now before Judgment Day? That God's people could recognize that what the prophets have been saying throughout the Bible is true, that God wants everyone to have enough right now. And God hates a situation where some people hoard all the food for themselves and other people go hungry. Where some people live lives of luxury and others struggle to get by. Where powerful people make laws and policies that benefit them rather than benefiting the people who really need help the most. Jesus says in our passage, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. What can we do as God's people to help make God's vision a reality of a world where everybody has enough? For some of us, we may need to listen to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6 and say, Ouch! Am I the rich? Woe to the rich, is that me? God, should I be doing something differently right now with my personal finances than what I have been doing? Something that would help address this situation where some people struggle to get by, while I, if I'm honest, have more than enough? God, how can I use the money you've entrusted me to help change that situation? For some of us, maybe that's the question to ask ourselves this week, this month. We can also, however, be thinking together about what we can do together as God's people here in this church and uh, in Cambridge and around the world, what we can do together to address structural issues in society and in the world that contribute to poverty and hunger and suffering. Drivers of poverty include things like debt, being forced to pay rent month after month, not having a secure job, low salaries, lack of access to education or medical care, and war, again, which we pray for week after week. When wars happen, some people get very, very wealthy Weapons manufacturers make a lot of money on war. Shareholders in companies that produce weapons make a lot of money on war. But other people, it destroys everything they have and it makes other people very, very poor. What can we do as God's people together to help address these sorts of structural issues at a local level or a national level or an international level? It's a question we can think about together in the weeks and months and years to come. Let's pray. God, we look forward to a world where everyone has enough and no one struggles to get by. Please show us what we can do to help make that a reality right now and not just at the end of time. Help us, together as your people, to find ways to influence policies and laws at local, national, and international levels so that they're fair and just and benefit those people who need help the most. And give us guidance about what we can do here at ARBC and with our partner churches here in Cambridge to ensure that your vision of a world where all are fed And weeping turns to laughing is also a reality in Cambridge, for everyone who lives here. And for some of us, as individuals, if we have more than enough, help us to think about that too over the coming days and weeks. Show us what else we might do to help make sure that other people don't suffer while we celebrate. Amen.